My name is, if you don't know who I am, my name is Joel Manival. Sermon topic today, what is love? My hope for today is that we'll, we'll begin to see love in a more complete light. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not here saying that I've got, I'm just saying, I guess, I think that the Lord has shown me some things in this, in a passage of scripture here that we're going to look at. First John chapter four, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, it's going to take a little bit for us to get there because we're going to lay a couple of key foundation blocks before we dig into that. But um, just to have a more complete understanding of what love is. And so we have the name, what is love? Hashtag baby don't hurt me. So those of you that know the song, what is love? You'll remember that phrase. But anyway, um, first key block this will be slide number two. Um, I want to share with you something that I've learned. A guy by the name of Gary Smalley, he's a, he's a doctor of philosophy, or doc, doctor, he's a philosophy, not philosophy, psychology. There we go. Yeah, big difference. Um, that, that I've learned a lot from over the years. And he wrote a book called The DNA of Relationships. And one of the things that he brought out in this book is that there are three key strands that are interrelated and tied. You know, just like the helical that you see of a DNA strand, these things are what make up relationships. And, and if you want to, feel free, if you're a note taker, you can take, I will not be offended if you take your phone and take pictures of that if you want to. Or if you, I'll have my contact information at the end of this. If you want me to email it to you, I'd be happy to do that. So um, do whatever you want on that. But he said that, and I, I believe this to be true. There are these three things, key things, that have to do with how we relate to each other. He said that these three things are found in the limbic part of the brain, that we are literally hardwired for relationships. So what are those three key strands? The first one, I was made for relationships. From the moment we're born, even probably before we're born, the baby is seeking to connect with the mother. And immediately after... That's something that they're drawn to. And it just grows from there. Dad, then siblings, then, you know, on, all, all on after that. Um, we were made to relate with God. We were made to relate with others. And we were even made to relate to ourselves. I won't get into that, all of that, but that's the concept. We were made for relationships. The second is, I was made with the capacity to choose. We can't always choose... Our relationships can't choose our parents we can't choose our siblings can't choose our kids well maybe no no we can't choose our kids but we can choose how we will act in those relationships right everybody agree with that this can be especially difficult when it comes to loving or honoring others that have hurt us but even though it may seem impossible, we still have the capacity to choose. We have that freedom and that ability. Number three, I was made to take responsibility for myself. All the way back to Adam and Eve, when they partook of the forbidden fruit, neither one was willing to take personal responsibility for that. What did Adam do? It's her fault. Transfer that responsibility over to somebody else because I had no choice. It was her. We were made to take personal responsibility. 
Our instinct is to pass blame, to try and transfer that responsibility from, our, from myself to either my spouse, my kids, my boss, my pastor. Has that ever happened, pastor? Never? Okay. I got that part wrong. I'm sorry. We were made to take responsibility for ourselves. So I'd like us all, just, just kind of get you involved. Let's all say these three things together. One, I was made for relationships. Two, I was made with the capacity to choose. Three, I was made to take responsibility for myself. Okay. The second building block that I want to focus on is honor. Romans 12 verses, uh, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This is another concept I learned from Dr. Smalley, and I'm going to kind of expand on what, he, what I've learned from him on this. Um, this sounds simple enough, but it's really more complex than what it looks like. But it, I, ultimately, I think you'll see it's really not that complex either. What does it mean to honor? His definition is to attach a high value to someone or something. As I was thinking about this, I had a, an example I'd like to share with you. What I have here is a saber that is used in the military. It's a naval officer's saber. You can see it's, it's in very good condition. It's got, uh, you know, it's got, I don't know if it's laser engraving, but it's got some sort of engraving on the blade. It's a ceremonial saber that is used in official times when official dress is needed. I looked on the internet to see what one of these was worth. <clears throat> and according to what the internet uh, came up with is around four to $500 is what one of these is worth. Now, if I went to Dolly and said, Dolly, I've got this saber, would you, would you like to buy it? Dolly may say, I have no use for a saber. It really not, doesn't mean anything to me. No offense, but it doesn't. You know, I, I, I'd probably, I, I wouldn't even give you $5 for it because I'd have to find a place for it. Uh, you know, it's just not worth that to me. But somebody may think that it is, and they'd come to me and say, hey, I'd be willing to pay you five, $500 for that. But to me, it's worth way more than that because my dad was a lieutenant in the Navy, and this was his. And to me... I would sneak in and find where he had this. He made the mistake of showing this when I was a little kid, showing this to us. And I was fascinated by it. And I would go in and I'd find where it was at. I'd get into it and, and get it out, look at it, imagine myself fighting with it or something like that. Great memories and high admiration for my dad when I think of this. So if you were to offer me four or $500 for this, I'd say, you know what, the price tag is so much higher. I I would have to have, if I dare even put four to five hundred thousand on that, you might be able to get me to to sell this to you. Now, who's right in the value? Is Dolly right? Is the internet right? Am I right? It doesn't matter. What matters is I attached high value to this, and to me, it's worth that. That is the concept of honor. I decide how valuable this is. 
Now, I could look at this, and instead of thinking about how great, what great memories I had about my dad, I could remember the times where I felt like he didn't have time for me. I could think about the times when he was always consumed with work. I could think about the times where he didn't come to my ball games. If I spend my time thinking of those things, what would the value of this be? I'll throw it out. I choose what I think about when I look at this. Does that make sense? This is a very key component when we're talking about what is love because honor is the substance of love. Just as faith is the substance of things hoped for, love is the substance, or honor is the substance of love. So let's take a look at Romans chapter 10, 12, verse 10 again. And let's, let's substitute for honor. So to honor one another above ourselves, we are to ha- attach a higher value to others than you do yourself. Now, some may be saying, attach a higher value to my boss, but that guy's a jerk. Attach a higher value to my parents, but they won't let me get, do anything that I want to do. Attach a higher value to members of Congress. Those guys are a bunch of crooks. Attach a higher value to Pastor Kent, but he likes the Vikings. Are, are we good? All right. Just, I felt like God wanted me to use that, okay? Many times, you know, every time I said, but, 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 many times there can be some big buts in relationships. Here's a key principle that I learned long, long ago. I cannot love someone that I do not honor. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I don't put a high value on people, I cannot love them. Right? That makes sense. Now remember, we are made for relationships. We are made with the capacity to choose. And we are made to take responsibility for ourselves. So if that is true, I can choose to attach a high value to someone else. This is where choosing the right thing can become very difficult. Some people are easy to honor. And, and when it comes to following and doing what the Lord wants us to do in, in showing love, you know, like, like Jim, for example, great guy, man of God, easygoing, not argumentative, doesn't talk back when you, you know, he's, he's just, right? He's a great guy. So if you would go ahead and play that, that video. It's like... You know, if Dayton here leading the goat is the Holy Spirit leading us. You just take her back the other way. Honoring a guy like Jim is, you know, we can follow along with that all day long. Right? Bring her on out. Okay, that's good. But sometimes we've experienced hurt with people or sometimes there's abrasive personalities that to us are abrasive. If you'd play that second video, sometimes following God's lead is like this. Yeah, we're going. Okay, now just go ahead and lead him. We'll lead her. Come on. 
Sometimes we aren't so willing to follow. Sometimes we may go kicking and screaming. Regardless of whether it's easy or hard, the truth is, I determine what value I place on others. They don't. I determine the value I place on others. They don't. Jesus said, we are to love others as we love ourselves, yet our instinct is to say, yeah, but they did this. We can choose to think differently about them and place a higher value on them. Choosing to honor helps us to get rid of those big butts. So, with those three strands in mind of the DNA of relationships and with the concept of honor, let us take a look at our scripture for today. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 11. John writes a lot about love, and uh, I think he has some good insights for us today. Verse 7, dear friends, we'll read verse 7 through 9 first. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So, before we move on to verses 10 and 11, let's take a look at what we can gain. What is love by this? One, it's shown to one another. Two, love comes from God. It's not something that we come up from within ourselves. It's not in our instinct to do this. It comes from God because God is love. Thirdly, it's the key mark of someone who is born again and knows God. Or born of God, verses 7 and 8. And again, verse 8, God is love. Lastly, God showed his love by sending Jesus into the world that we might live through him. That's out of verse 9. So, what does this passage go on to say? Let's take a look at verses 10 and 11. And remember, our question is, what is love? Well, what does verse 10 say? Next slide. This is love. When I see something like that clearly stated in the Bible, I'm going to pay attention. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what can we gain from this? Point number one, out of verse verse 10. Next slide, please. Yes. Love was initiated by God first. It says that it wasn't because we loved God that God loved us. He loved us even when we had our backs turned to him, even when we were running away from him, even when we wanted to have nothing to do with him. God loved us first. It was initiated by him. For him to be able to do that, he had to attach a high value to us. How do we know that? Well, Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. God could have said, but John loves his other interests more than he loves me. 
or, but Debbie lies to others and to me all the time. But Jim won't forgive Jeremy. But Pastor Kent likes the Vikings. That's not really a sin. It's not really a sin. But my point is, is that God has plenty of big butts that could be used against us. Right? But yet he chose to look past those and attach a high value for us in that. While we were still sinners, even though we had our backs turned to us, he placed a high value on us and said, you're worth dying for. You see, we were made in God's image, and he has the capacity to choose too. And he chose to honor us. Point number two that we get out of this verse is what was our key need for relationship with him. The point is, love is demonstrated by God meeting our key need for a relationship with him. What was that key need? Well, the need is, he is holy and we're not. He is righteous and we're not. There's no way that we can relate to God unless that is taken care of on our side. So he sent Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for us. He met our key need out of his great love for us. Why? So that that can be dealt with and we can have relationship with him. Because we are made for relationships. First, or point number three, we are called, called to follow God's example and love others the same way. Verse 11 is essentially pointing us to verse 10 as a model for loving others. So, if that's the case, how can we take these two bullet points and come up with a, a, maybe, a, maybe a new definition of love for you? I don't know if it is or not, but I, it was new to me. If love was initiated by God first, and if he demonstrated his love for us by meeting our key need for a relationship, then love is intentionally placing a high value on someone and seeking to meet their key needs for healthy relationships. Love is intentionally placing a high value on someone and seeking to meet their key needs for healthy relationships. If that's a valid definition, then we should be able to go to other passages of the Bible and test it and see if it fits. And there's, there's, other, you know, there's passages in the Bible that talk a lot about relationships. There's Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Peter, and so on. Actually, all throughout the Word. But, um, and if you will, please turn to the next... Uh, oh, no, not, yeah, that's fine. Um, as we look at those passages of Scripture, if we're going to test this, there's, there are three, three key questions that we'll have to ask. Say, if we're looking at a passage about children and parents, what word involves an action that adds value to someone else? What word ad- involves an action that adds value to someone else? Secondly, how does this action help us understand the other person's key need? And then who is to take action first? I believe this definition does fit well, and, and there are some examples of different places you'll see on the next, um, the next slide. All throughout the scripture, there's talk, you know, how about the relationship between governing authorities or law enforcement and citizens? 
or the relationship between employers and employees, or children and their parents, or my neighbor and me, or people who are still separated from God. Can we take this definition of love and apply it to these relationships? I believe that we do, that we can. And actually, if you aren't doing anything Wednesday night, uh, we're going to dig further into this in the class that I lead on in the Revelation room at 6.30. So if this strikes a chord with you and you want to dig in further, feel free to come this Wednesday night. But today I'd like to spend um, a little bit of time as we kind of come to a close uh, talking about husbands and wives. I, uh, before I start, I'd like to give a little background. Um, Tammy and I have been married now 29 years as of July 7th. Very proud of that. Yes, thank you, Keith. That's, it's, uh, I think we need to celebrate that. Um, but 29 years ago when we first got married, like many of us do, I brought some bad relational habits in with me. And those habits had a tendency to Huh? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's true, Kent. I know. It's hard to believe. Ask my wife. <laughs> she she was there. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it, it sure had a it sure had a ten, those had a tendency to cause uh, problems along the way. But by the grace of God, at some and I say literally by the grace of God, He intervened and helped me see that I needed His help to be different. It was not going to be in me to be able to change. And it was through, you know, if if anybody remembers Promise Keepers, that was a men's accountability movement. That had a profound effect on me in in setting the course of my life in a different direction than what I had learned. Um, I went to a conference one time where the discussion or the teaching was on forgiveness. That had a profound impact on me. I mean, I cannot explain how profound it was when I was given the ability to forgive. Um, and and it, was, it came from the Lord. Um, I've already mentioned Dr. Smalley and, and his way of, of taking the Word of God and helping you to apply it to relationships. So I'm not saying that I've got it all figured out, and I'm certainly not saying that I've got it, that I'm a perfect husband by any means. But I think I've gotten better, and I'm determined to keep growing. And... So, what I, some of the things I'm going to talk about, and it's just brief here, um, some perspectives that I think may be beneficial to some in this room. Uh, I, for one, wish I'd known us a lot long, or fully understood this a lot longer, or a lot long ago. Um, now, before we get started, I want to declare this to be an elbow-free room. That if you're sitting next to your spouse, there will not be any of this. There will not be any pinching. There will not be anything like that. Okay, so we are we're all in a safe space. And let's all agree that we're here to learn, here to grow. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-two, twenty through twenty-four. Again, we're testing our definition of love. Scripture says this: Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
Now, we have three questions we're going to ask as we look at this. First one, what word in this verse involves an action? It involves an action that adds value to someone else. Submit. Now, many times that word has a negative connotation. Is that right? You know, I'm giving up something. You expect me to be a doormat. That's not what this is talking about. I think that God strategically put this in here because he understood what the key needs of the husband is. It has less to do with the wife's role and more to do with the needs of the husband. How do you get that? Well, let's take a look. How does this action help us understand the other person's need? So, to submit communicates something to the husband. The key need for most husbands to have a healthy relationship with their wives is respect. We need to feel respected. Most husbands feel the sense of responsibility of being the head. And many, if not most, if not all husbands, have struggled with the question, do I have what it takes? We may not let you know that. In fact, most of the times we're pretty good at hiding that. But that question is there. We want to be good husbands and fathers, but we have doubts about our ability or we just plain don't know how to do it all together. We need to know that you have our backs. We need to know that you support us. We need to hear that you recognize our value in the relationship. When we offer you solutions or try to fix things, it's because of how we're designed. We're not trying to belittle you. We're truly trying to help. We need to hear that we're getting some things right, not all that we're doing wrong. Now, we're in an elbow-free, no-eye-rolling zone. I'd ask the men... In this room, if that resounds with you, could you please give a polite amen? So, love is intentionally placing a high value on someone and seeking to meet their key needs for relationships. Wives, submit to your husbands because he needs to feel respected. Who needs to take action first? In this case, the wife. Well, you might say, I'd submit to him, but all he does is work all the time. Or, but he leaves his socks and underwear on the floor. But he doesn't want to sit and talk like we used to. But he shows no interest in me. But he likes the Vikings. Okay. You were made for relationships. You were made with the capacity to choose. And you were made to take responsibility for yourself. We can choose to honor anyway and get rid of the buts. Okay, ladies, let's talk about you. Ephesians 5, uh, 25 through 
28. Okay, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So, our three questions. What word involves an action that adds value to someone else? Love. Well, we just talked about that in our definition, what, that, what love is. God showed it to us. Here, that same word is being used. I believe God uses this word because he wants us to understand our wife's key need. It's not about the husband's role. It's about what she needs for healthy relationships. So, how does this action word help us understand the other person's key need? The key need for most wives, and I ran this by my wife to make sure it sounded okay, so I hope this fits most of you, if not all of you, because I'm not a lady. The key need for most wives to have a healthy relationship with their husbands is to be valued or treasured. Generally speaking, Wives need to feel important. That they're worth fighting for. That they're they're more valuable than our work, our hobbies, or our friends. And many, if not most, if not all, wives struggle with this question. Am I worth pursuing? Your wife wants to be more than noticed. She wants to be wanted. She wants to be pursued. She wants her husband to fight for her heart, just as Christ laid down everything to fight for our hearts. She sees everything as being interconnected and is highly aware of things that most men can't see. So she wants to be heard and her opinion to be valued as well. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we will treasure or attach high value to our wives... Our hearts will follow, and so will hers. Now, we're in an elbow-free zone. No grunting zone. Ladies, if you agree with what I just said, please give us a polite amen. So love is intentionally placing a high value on someone and seeking to meet their key needs for a healthy relationship. So husbands, we love our wives... Because they need to feel treasured. So who takes action first here? Husbands. Yeah, but she's always questioning me about things that don't matter. But she always makes me feel like I never do anything right. But she never wants to have intimacy anymore. But she likes the Chiefs. I actually had Vikings in there, but I thought I'd throw that in there. Was that better? There can be some pretty big butts between husband and wives. However, you were made for relationships. You were made with the capacity to choose. And you were made to take responsibility for yourself. 
we can choose to honor anyway and get rid of the buts. What happens often in relationships is one side feels dishonored by the other, disrespected or not loved or not treasured by the other. The husband doesn't feel his wife respects him or that his efforts to be as good a leader as he can are not good enough. A wife doesn't feel like she's worth being pursued, worth investing in, worth spending time in. Hard feelings and bitterness can begin to form, creating walls of separation between two people that once loved each other, but now they can't remember how. In cases like that, the thought of attaching high value and meeting my husband's respect, need for respect, or meeting my wife's need to be treasured may not even be on the radar, not even in the same country, not even in the same planet in terms of what I think I can do. When it gets to that point, sometimes there's a different key need for the relationship. Ephesians 4.32, if you would turn to the next page. Thank you. Sometimes the key need for relationship, a healthy relationship, is forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Just as, Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. So what is the value added, adding action here? What's the word used? Forgive. What does that tell us is the key need for the relationship? That we need to let them off the hook. That we need to turn that over to God and say, God, if there's justice that's needed, if there's repayment that's needed, vengeance is yours, not mine. We need to quit keeping the record of wrongs. So who is to take action first? Me. Doesn't matter if it's your if it's the husband or the wife. Me. I have to take responsibility. Remember, we didn't love God first. He loved us first. Even when we had our backs turned to him, even when we were going in complete opposite direction, he still said, You're worth paying the price so you can be forgiven of your sins. He forgave us, even when we didn't deserve it. I'm to follow his lead and show love by forgiving. Yeah, but what they did hurt really bad. Or, but they're not sorry for what they did. Again, we see some pretty big buts. (laughs) Sorry, I keep using that, but... You see some pretty big butts that get in the way of relationships. But you were made for relationships. You were made with the capacity to choose, just like God did with you and me. And you were made to take responsibility, not for them, but for yourself. You may say, that is impossible. I can't do that. There's no way I can Let's take a look at these last two verses. Mark ten twenty seven says this. 
Jesus looked at them and said, so I want you to picture Jesus looking at you and saying this, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Like I told you earlier, I had an... I had... uh, When I mentioned my dad, the things that I could have looked at when I see that sword. I told you about how I went to that seminar where they talked about forgiveness and how God did an amazing work in my heart. There were things that my dad did, not with the intent to hurt me, He didn't intend to hurt me, but he did. I had no clue how much that affected me until I was faced with this opportunity and challenge to choose to let that go. I didn't have it in me. And the speaker knew that people in the room would not have the ability to do that. And so he challenged us. If you're having a hard, difficult time to forgive in forgiving somebody, stand up without even thinking. Dumb me. No, not dumb me. I, I moved without, without questioning, and I started to stand up. The moment I stood up, I started shaking. Had no clue how much that was affecting me. had no clue. Then the next thing he did is, you know, you th- well, he, he invited everybody to come around. Anybody that was around, somebody that was standing. There was multiple of us, multiple ones of us in the room. Asked people to come around and lay hands on them and pray for them. That God would give them the ability to, to forgive. And that day I was set free. Yeah. I had a weight lifted off of me that I had no clue that I was carrying. I was blinded to it. It had been there so long. That moment transformed. Again, it was towards my dad. And the next, he died a year and a half later. And we had a great relationship after that point. I am so grateful. But I'm here to say, there are times when you do not have the ability to forgive You do not have the ability in yourself to add the value that your wife is worth or that your husband is worth. It says love comes from God. We have to go to him to be able to do this stuff. But too many times we say, no, I've got this. I've got this. Look at what he says again. With man, it is impossible That all things are possible through him. 
the altar team would please come, or not the altar team, the praise team would come forward. I do not know where you're at in different things, different relationships. We talk primarily about husbands and wives, but this comes into father-son, mother-daughter, mother-son, you know, could be work, could be your boss, could be your, your brother or sister. I don't know where you're at. But if the Spirit of God has been moving on you, and if there's anything that I've said that resounds in you, think in your heart, I need him to help me. I invite you to come to this, these altars and you and him work it out. He is more than able to help you. Just like Jim, what was that last part of that verse you talked about? He is able to take and hold what we entrust to him. If you say, I don't know how to do this, but I give it to you. He is faithful and will help you to forgive, help you to submit, help you to love. Because he is love and because he initiated it first and he sought to meet key needs so that relationships could be restored. And I think he wants to do that yet today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your presence and to hear the things you've put on my heart. If there's anything that was of the flesh, of of me, I pray that nobody would remember any of that. But Lord, the things that are of spiritual nature, the things that have the ability to transform us, I pray that it would cut through and that it would cause us to yield ourselves to you, to come to you and say, I can't do this on my own. Please give us the ability to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.